My name is Chris Raymer, very grateful recovered alcoholic. And I, I am delighted to be here. Guys, if I don't do anything real stupid, uh, next month I'll have 33 years. And uh, I'm, I'm a little skinny guy that couldn't get 30 days forever. And uh, I'm just, you know, an honor to be here. I wish I was in Tucson. Great, you know, geology mecca is in Tucson. And I, yeah, and I still haven't got there yet. So I'm, I'm going to. I've been trying to get to the gym and minerals show there forever and it just never works out. So maybe, maybe this year we'll see, but uh, I sure appreciate Travis asking me to speak and, and uh, he's, he's given, he said I had like two hours to talk. So I'm, I'm going <laughs> to listen, some of them California guys, they do it. They're not joking. It's like, oh, okay, whatever. Not 45 minutes and, and uh, I'm looking at the clock so I don't go over. I, uh, guys, I, as always, anytime I do this, I, I want to just mention, I'm going to just share my experience. And my experience may be different than your experience, and that's just so okay, guys. I'm not up here carrying a, you know, torch. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, you know, I'm, I love Alcoholics Anonymous and I'm, I'm, I'm pretty passionate about recovery. I am because I, I, uh, you know, I really died sitting in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous folks, surrounded by a bunch of really well-meaning people. Um, if love was going to get me sober, I'd had a lot more than 33 years, I got to tell you. So uh, it, it took, took a little bit more than that. It was like, you know, so just some of the stuff I talk about, and, and I'm not here to, to make anybody uncomfortable around that. I, there's as many ways to work the steps as you can shake a stick at. And, uh, you know, I know a lot of people could do it a bunch of different ways. And I'm not here to say that it's got to be my way, although you'd probably be better if you did it my way. But I'll just throw that out there. I just, just, just saying, I don't, I am, um, I got to tell you, it's so fun. It's, I was watching the participants. I just got to say this real quick. I'm watching the participants. Anytime I do this, I do a bunch of Zoomies and used to travel a lot. Now I just sit in my office, <laughs> but, but it's, it's a uh, watching the, the boat and everybody comes in right at the last minute. And I got to tell you the best part of any of these meetings that I go to guys is, is, and I, and I go to my own little meetings too. Ours are finally open in the Hill country, but I still do a lot of Zoomies. I love them. Best part is before the meeting starts and everybody's talking trash and high-fiving each other. And I mean, God, I got to tell you, if a little newcomer got in here and 15 minutes early and got to see the banner and all of you guys loving on each other, they, they'd be, they'd know they were home. You know, I, I tried to get sober in a bunch of meetings, guys, when I just, you know, four or five grumpy old bastards sitting in the corners looking at the coffee and smoking too many cigarettes and, you know, just, do you just feel the love, you know, and it's like, it wasn't going to happen. I don't know. I hope after all this stuff goes away and we get all of our meetings back open, I hope we still get to do some of these Zooms because I got to tell you, where else can you go? I mean, I know my buddy Mike was on a meeting with me last night from Oregon and, and uh, you know, you got Robbie over there. You got a bunch of these guys over here. I, I know a lot of y'all in this room and, um, I mean, some of you are infamous. Yeah. <laughs> so it's just what an honor to, to, to be in this little gathering. And, and uh, um, if I can ever do anything to help any of you, just let me know. Because I, I just, maybe it's just I'm getting old. God dang, I get kind of mossy about the, the whole just being a part of something. It's, um, I'm a little guy that somebody asked me last night, what was the hardest thing about coming to Alcoholics Anonymous? What was the hardest step? You know, the hardest thing for me to do when I got to AA had nothing to do with the step. I mean, all the steps were a little uncomfortable. The hardest thing for me to do was to participate. 
to get my little butt off the back wall and actually sit at the big table with everybody else and, and let people into my life. Cause I'm the shyest little buckaroo in this room. I got to tell you, and still to this day. And I, it's, uh, uh, it, it took me effort to, to, to be a part of this. Damn near killed me. So anyway, I'm delighted to be here. I'm, I'm sitting out uh, in uh, Ingram, Texas, where I, where I live. And I'm about five miles from where I took my first drink. Uh, I grew up here in the hill country. And actually, I was born out in West Texas. My, my dad couldn't get us here fast enough because there's water here and there wasn't any out in West Texas. And uh, a lot like Tucson. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, I'm right on the Guadalupe River, guys, and, and uh, five, five miles downstream, there's a big, big old cypress trees on the river, and I leaned up against one of those, 1971, the month that Bill Wilson passed away, uh, J January 1971, I uh, uh, laid up against a big old tree and took a bottle of Boone's Farm apple wine. Me and a friend were going to split it, and he didn't like it, so there was no splitting to it. He went on home, and I stayed there on that riverbank and finished that little bottle. And uh, it wasn't one of those great big bottles like some of y'all drink it. God dang it, big. This was just a little bottle. And, and uh, I don't know what it was, a pint. But I had enough in my system to finally make me feel something. I had sips of my dad's drink. And uh, my father was an alcoholic and nicest, sweetest man you'd ever come across. And, and uh, he, uh, he tried AA for a while and, and uh, never stuck. But uh, uh, I come from a family of them. You give my family tree a good kick and a bunch of little alcoholics will drop out of the top of that thing. It's just on both sides. And, and uh, my twin brother and I, some of y'all know Myers Raymond, my twin brother, he's, he caught the bullet with me. Same little Aggie, get it? We just, we're the same. We got the, we got the, the genetics. And uh, I've got two sisters that never had a problem with alcohol, guys, raised in the same family. Um, everybody wants to try to blame something for their drinking. Uh, guys, it's genetic. And so I know that our circumstances can exacerbate the problem, but uh, the jury's in on that one. You can stop squawking about it. So he, he got sober about two months after I did, and that was pretty cool. I'd, I don't know what I would have done if my best friend on earth had uh, not sobered up. I'd have been, it'd have been a lonely existence, but uh, we've got a pretty cool life, guys. And um, I, uh, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's just, like so many people, when I first started drinking, like, it was good. And uh, you couldn't, you couldn't beat it. We were in the hills down here. We were in high school. We'd go have keg parties. Occasionally, we'd get too drunk, uh, but uh, but no big deal, guys. We just didn't. It was nothing. Uh, I wanted to be a chef from the time I could remember, and uh, used to watch some guys back in the kitchens. And I was a busboy at this hotel over here in town, and and uh, used to watch them. And it's like what I wanted to do. It was pretty cool. And those guys were drinking on a job, and there was always girls around, and. You know, I'm a little skinny one-eyed guy, and I'm never going to get a date. And uh, I figured this would be one way to do it, and I, I did. And it was true. We could drink on the job, and there was always women around. So, you know, guys, y'all remember the days when alcohol worked? I mean, it was pretty special. Uh, I sat around the hills for a year after high school, and then my twin brother and I, we got in a Volkswagen Beetle and moved to Houston, which was just right out I-10, about four hours straight west, excuse me, east. And um uh, we had a bumper sticker on the back of that Volkswagen. I don't know where Myers got it. He says, get drunk and be somebody. And we, yeah. Can y'all imagine us? I mean, God, we're not even older. We're 18 years old. We're not even old enough to buy booze in Texas at the time. And um, we could go to war, but we couldn't buy booze. And uh, just, I don't know, got a great job in Houston and as an apprentice in a big old hotel. And he got a job as a bartender in a big fancy smancy bar. And um, 
life was good. We drank good and he ate good. So, you know, I, I can't complain, guys. When alcohol worked, rock on. But it didn't work long. And, uh, you know, over a period of time, this little thing called depression started to kick my butt. And by the late 70s, I'm seeing doctors for the depression. And uh, something's just not right. I'm just not a happy little camper. And, um, and I'm never giving the doctors a fair shake because I'm not telling them the truth. Uh, but uh, the alcohol, there was a time when alcohol worked. And then there's a time when, when, it, when it stops working. And I'm, they're saying, well, maybe you'd, you ought to quit drinking. And, you know, I'd try to quit for a little while. But I didn't understand... Um, Somebody gave me this quote the other day, and I wish the heck I could remember where it came from. Uh, the curse of alcoholism isn't the alcohol. The curse of alcoholism is sobriety. You know, and a lot of people get confused with that because I got to tell you, you talk to family members. I've been in the treatment business forever. I work, do clerical work for a hospital and have forever. And, and, uh, and you talk to the family members, they don't understand. Their, their idea is if you would just stop drinking, everything would be okay. And they don't understand. If all you do is stop drinking, you will not be okay. If you're a hard drinker, Bill Wilson goes out of his way to talk about moderate drinkers and hard drinkers. But what about the real alcoholic? If you're a real alcoholic and you just stop drinking, you're going to go nuts. And Bill Wilson understood it. And the, the, the people that were trying to help him get sober understood it. Uh, and I would quit drinking and I could stop, guys. There was a long period of time in there, guys. I could quit drinking. I could stop on a dime. And, and do great for a short period of time. And then, uh, uh, and then I would get so uncomfortable in my skin, I couldn't stand it. And eventually my head, usually a couple of weeks, I'm a two week wonder, a couple of weeks in my head would start saying, well, it, you know, you could probably have one and I'd be off to the races again. But uh, uh, late seventies, early eighties, I got married and uh, when one of my, I started doing a bunch of geographics guys. I, I moved to Austin, Texas for a while. and thinking that that was going to help with a drink. And who knew that they had alcohol in Austin, Texas? I'll never forget talking to my mom about moving to Atlanta, Georgia. Like, but, you know, yeah. I didn't stay in Atlanta very long. I got to tell you, I love that city. But they, at the time, they couldn't, they wouldn't sell alcohol anywhere in Atlanta on Sundays. Now, that is abusive. I'm just saying, that is not okay. God, you can't. And I found out the hard way, buddy, Sunday morning, looking for a drink. <laughs> found out you, could, you weren't going to get it till Monday, that's for sure. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, moved back to Texas and, and went and worked on the wheat fields for a while. And I mean, I'm just trying to change. I'm convinced that if I could change my outsides, I could get comfortable on the insides. None of y'all have probably ever done that. You know, change relationships, change jobs, change Oh my God. And I'm in the food business, guys. You can change a job. You can quit a job in the morning and by two o'clock in the afternoon, you'll have another job. I mean, that's it always. That's just the way it is, and especially if you're pretty good. And I was uh, fun bunch. I uh, ended up getting married in Houston. I had a, a therapist one time that told me that if I'd put some roots down and get some responsibility, I'd have a better chance of staying sober. And uh and she was a nice girl. God dang it. Not just, just, I moved her immediately back up to North Texas to be closer to my twin brother. And we bought a little house and I've got a little pickup truck and on the outside, everything looking okay. And, and, uh, on the inside, it's the same. I, uh, I've got to that place on 152 where it says, 
He says, you can't, you're going to reach a point. I'll paraphrase it. He says, you're going to reach a point where you can't imagine life living with it and with alcohol. And you can't imagine life living without alcohol. Then you're going to know loneliness like few do. And, uh, and that's what people, a lot of people just don't understand. You know, I, I can stop for short periods of time, but I can't stay stopped. The pain of, of not drinking one day at a time is too hard. And uh, I came home one night, I got a job at a, at a place up in, up in Denton, Texas, and uh, a pretty good opportunity for me. And uh, I am, uh, <laughs> I don't know, like I said, all the stars were lining up, everything should have been okay. But uh, I came home drunk and this was the early 80s. And, and I'm, I know this is AA, I'm not talking about drugs, but everybody in the United States was doing cocaine in the early 80s. I just say it. It's Don Johnson, Miami Vice was on TV. I can still hear that music. We all thought we were drug runners. Just, you know, what the heck. But I started messing with some of this outside issue stuff. And we called it our alcohol enhancers. Guys, when you start drinking early in the morning and you work in a food business and you're going to be cooking that night, you better have something to keep you awake and uh, other than coffee. And uh, anyway, it, I came home and there was a fight. I don't remember what it was about, but I remember she asked me to leave and I, I came back a few hours later and, and uh, I was, I mean, remorseful guys. I, you know, I started to become kind of a person I didn't want to be. And, uh, uh, and she asked me to quit. She said, if you want to be married to me, you're going to have to stop drinking. And, uh, and that's how I remember the conversation. And uh, uh, I remember looking her in the face and telling her point blank that I would quit. And uh, I can't not share it guys. Y'all need to hear me, please. When I looked her in the eyes and told her that I was going to quit, I meant it with every fiber in my body. I get really tired sometimes of folks in AA that want to make pictures of us. Oh, you're an alcoholic. We're all liars and horse thieves in here. You know, I appreciate the levity. It's just not true. There's a lot of people that won't come to AA because they think you've got to be a loser to be there. And there's a lot of people, my experience in AA, that have never been losers. They have alcoholism. They drank too goddamn much. Let's, let's get that. But but they're not doing a lot of the crazy stuff that we hear in the meetings. I just saying my experience. I uh, I went and poured everything out, got rid of the booze, and called Alcoholics Anonymous the next morning. And I, I was going to go to AA. And week and a half later, I had that same uh, same chef I had a drink with, and you know that week before, I, I I stayed after and had a beer with him, and I'm patting myself on the back because boy, I didn't get drunk. You know, I kept my promise. My promise with her was not that I wasn't going to come home drunk. My problem with her is that I was done drinking, that I wasn't going to touch another drop, and that was the end for that relationship. Uh, but I continue to go to, uh, she left, moved back to Houston, bless her uh, for doing it. And, um, and um, I, uh, I started going to Alcoholics Anonymous with a vengeance. I, I was going to get sober and I, uh, meetings were great guys. And I'm not taking shots at anybody, but up in North Texas where I was going to meetings, it was the problem solving meetings where you'd go and bring a problem and everybody would talk about it. And some lady would have a dead cat and, and we'd talk about acceptance of dead cats. And I, I, I don't know, I just, you know, they were fascinating for a few minutes. And then, you know, after a while, about the time that, you know, that irritable resistance and sticking back in and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to shoot myself. I, I don't know. And I sit in the rooms and not share and build a case against AA and leave, you know, and, and go get drunk. And uh, I, I did this in and out, guys, seven years in Alcoholics Anonymous, in and out of Alcoholics Anonymous. I never picked up a 30-day chip. And I'll take all responsibility, folks. I'm just saying, I didn't own a big book. I never got a sponsor. 
The only thing that people were trying to tell me to do was, Chris, if you're having trouble staying sober, go to more meetings. Well, <laughs> if six meetings a day are not keeping me, what makes you think seven? Y'all understand? I'm going to go ahead and say it because y'all are a nice bunch. And please don't be offended. Ah, heck, you can be offended if you want to. If I could click my fingers and do get rid of one thing in Alcoholics Anonymous, one thing, it would be 90 meetings in 90 days. That is absolute crap. It's a bumper sticker. It's nowhere in the big book. And it's killing people, folks. It sets people up for failure. Yeah. That little college kid that's not going to school, that just got out of treatment, y'all understand? Mama's paying for everything. He can go to 90 meetings in 90 days. He's got nothing else to do but sit on his butt and play video games and go to meetings. Rock on. What about that nice lady that's got two, two kids, single mom, working two jobs? Now, how's she going to do that? It's just, it's nuts. She does, does her, busts her butt. And then on the 67th day, one of the little kids gets sick and she has to stay home and she misses it. Yeah. Guys, and I've, I've seen it right there. And the sponsor, oh, well, you promised you'd do 90 meetings in 90 days. You're going to have to start over. That's the stuff that makes people, this makes us look like a stupid cult. It's ridiculous. Some of your faces, you agree. Some of your faces are absolutely in shock that I would say that. Nowhere in the big book, nowhere in the big book does it say go to a meeting every day. If you got nothing else going, guys, I went to a meeting every day when I first got sober, guys, and I, I, I loved AA. I, nothing better, you know, but the, let's don't set people up for failure. 1987, uh, with a drawer full of desire chips, I tried to commit suicide. I picked up a stack of return checks and I'd gone to... I just saw I'm done. I believe God intervened that night because the I I threw the pills up and and uh, and promised that I would go back to AA. Didn't want to go back to AA, but I needed to go. I just this is the only answer game in town that I that I knew. I saw you guys staying sober. I knew it had to work, but I went to a different meeting I'd never been to before. I was running late after work and couldn't go to my meeting. And I walked into a room full of people, folks, that understood their chief responsibility. Bill Wilson's got a letter. Some of y'all got these on the back of your books. I, I've, I've given them out a million of these things. It says, our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program. It's a quote out of a letter in 1942 that Bill Wilson wrote. It's in Asbel Sees It. Our chief responsibility to the newcomer is an adequate presentation of the program. And this group that I walked into, they understood that. And I, I don't know, guys, I walked in and the chairperson let me sit up there with him. And I didn't I was trying to leave and a little girl stopped me from leaving. And, and uh, they went around and the chairperson started the meeting and he said, man, let's tell Chris how our, our lives have changed as a result of working the steps. And all the first step meetings I've been going to, guys, forever. Y'all go to anywhere and say, well, let's have a first step meeting. That means tell your story to the newcomer. Tell what happened to you. And I, I don't have a problem. I, I'd appreciate that, folks. But the idea that my story is going to somehow make you stay in AA is ridiculous. Fear is not going to keep us sober. It's entertaining on a Friday night. God dang it. I look around this gathering and I think about the pain that some of you guys have been through. And the, and the oh, my God. I'm so blessed to be associated with every one of you in the room. That's not going to keep me sober. I got to tell you what kept me sober early on. These guys started talking about the good stuff. 
and a lady across the table kind of in a catty corner. I'll never forget her. She had a set of car keys and she just got her, she's a year and three months over. I remember she got a set of a brand new little car sitting out in the parking lot. And I'd just been turned down two weeks earlier from a car loan. I'm, I'm busted. I'm living from paycheck to paycheck. And, uh, and a guy next to her had started a little landscape business and, and uh, he's all excited about, you know, making some money. And, and the guy next to me had a, a wallet full of pictures of his little kids and he met a girl in AA. AA boy meets AA girl on AA campus, you know, and they had a bunch of little rack, the AA babies and oh God, and he was just, he loved it. He just like, he tears in his eyes when he showed me these pictures. Lady at the end of the table had a sketch pad and she'd gone back to art school and she got a degree. Guys, I had just tried to commit suicide less than 24 hours earlier. And these people are giving me the one thing that I need more than they're giving me hope that you can have a different life. I've spent seven years just torching in Alcoholics Anonymous, sitting there not drinking one day at a time. Fear in just depression, boredom, anxiety, all this stuff kicking my butt. And these people are telling me that, man, life can be different. And these old guys got me after I picked up what was going to be my last chip. And, and at the end of the meeting, and I'm heading for the door. And these guys said, man, sit with us for a couple of minutes. Let's, let's find out why you can't, can't stay sober. They've seen me up in North Texas for years. And guys and these old geezers, I was a little offended because I've been the best psychiatrist money can buy. You know, I mean, I've all these guys, they can't get me sober. Now, these two beat up old drunks are going are gonna to get, yeah, yeah, that's right. And they opened the big book, guys, and for the first time, they showed me the physical craving and the mental obsession. They talked to me about the symptoms of alcoholism, the thing that ties us all together. Guys, page 17 talks about a common problem. We all got a common problem, but that's not going to hold us together. It's the common solution that ties us together. I, I just... I was talking to Mike earlier, I was laughing. I was in a meeting last night. Guys, I'm going to tell you, these are people that normally would not mix. I mean, these people were not, these are all just, yeah. And we were laughing our butts off. We were all so, it was just, we were all staying sober the same way. We were all in the trench helping other alcoholics get sober. I, we just, it was delightful. Uh, those guys, I got to tell you, I went home that night with tears in my eyes. I'm driving home 15 minutes to my house and I'm crying because I know finally what's wrong with me. Guys, I'm on seven prescription medications a day for psychiatric disorders. I mean, I, these are all doctor prescribed meds, not like some of y'all, you know, I'm not out there doctor shopping. I'm, I got legit stuff going on yeah. and I just, I'm on all these medications and I'm just, I, yeah, I'm not, I don't have all those diagnoses. The guys, what I have is untreated alcoholism. These guys said, if you'll work the steps like the old timers did, work them, work them quick. Let's get this work done. Don't take a year. Now, get them done. You'll have a spiritual experience and your life will change forever. Well, I don't think that's really going to happen. He said, we don't care what you think. Commit to do the work with us and everything's going to be okay. And I did. I said, okay. But the next day, after a meeting, 10 o'clock meeting, we chased the ladies out of the Alamon room and there was three or four of us and we got on our knees and did a third step prayer. And then we went to lunch and came back and they gave me a little notebook and they, they started me working on a fourth step. I get emails from all over the world, guys, because I speak all over. And then just, they just say, oh, don't you think that's a bit fast? <laughs> I've been in AA seven years, guys. I've never worked a single step. There's nothing fast about this. Yeah. Guys, Bill Wilson's on his ninth day in town's hospital, detoxing, working on his amends from the hospital. 
we've screwed AA up by telling people to go slow. Yeah, I can hear it now. This is not a race. Yes, it is. Because when the obsession to use comes back, buddies, I'm going to go use. This is why so many people relapse. It's not that they don't want to stay sober. Just let's get well. I, uh, I got to tell you real quick, I'm watching the clock. I got to tell you, these guys kind of got hold of me and uh, they had me so busy that night. Uh, I spent seven years in AA again with these guys and they'd pat me on the butt. And, you know, just, you know, you keep coming back and we'll see you tomorrow night. But you see, I got to go home and I got to sit in this apartment by myself with these two stinky little ferrets and uh, watch TV and alone in my own head. And I can't, this is not working. You know, I, I, these guys wouldn't do that. They say, Chris, come on, help us set the room up. And, and so I'd go help them. Let me show you how to make coffee. This coffee machine's kind of tricky. Let me help, let me show you how to make coffee. They just, they got me involved in the group. Three, three weeks after uh, I, I walked in and picked up my little desire chip, I'm in a six o'clock meeting down there every night. And uh, we're, they, everybody's got a big book sitting in front of them. And we're, every topic comes out of the big book. That's what we're talking about. And uh, I, uh, they say, Chris, we got a group conscience coming up at the end of the month, and we're going to nominate you for chairman of the cleanup committee. I said, do you want that job? And I said, you know, I don't, absolutely not. And uh, they said, okay, well, we're going to nominate you. And I, I went to my first, for seven years and eight, I went to my first group conscience. I was three weeks over, and there was about 40 people in there, and they unanimously voted me in. Yeah, hot damn. Voted me in as chairman of the cleanup committee. You know, and I'm eagle. You know, I'm, I'm, I got railroaded. I know I got railroaded. I can sense it. I don't want this job. Uh, but I'm also feeling, you know, I got my Fruit of the Loom t-shirt on. I'm kind of straightening it up a little bit. I'm, you know, I'm chairman of this committee. And I ask him for a list of the people on my committee and they've spit coffee across the, I never forget it. Literally spit coffee. He said, Chris, there's no committee. You're it. You're the cleanup guy. It's <laughs> like, so you just voted me in as the custodian. Is that what you're telling me? And I said, that's exactly right. Welcome. They showed me where the vacuum cleaner was. And, well, I got to tell you, they gave me the keys that night to the, to the club, little AA club down on Main Street. And I, uh, I, two days later, I took off work in the afternoon and I snuck back in that club. It was about one o'clock in the afternoon. And the meeting started at six. And I spent the next three, four hours in there cleaning that club. Now, guys, I am. I'm in the food business, been there forever, and I know I know how to clean a kitchen. Just let's just say it. And uh, boy, those tables were clear, and I got a ruler out, made sure the chairs were all back. You know, I just cleaned all that nasty stuff out of those coffee pots. And I mean, it, this place was spotless. You can, I mean, something else. I'm sitting back there at 5:30, and the meeting's fixing to start in 30 minutes, and I've got a cup of coffee in front of me, and I'm just thinking, I'm, you know. And this matriarch of this group walks in. I always laugh about it. She had to be at least 140 years old. She had to been at least 140 years old, and uh, she slipped in there. You could hear her. She had a little shoes. She sliding in there in that, in that in that coffee room in there, and I could hear her. And she was squealing in there. And she looked around the corner. And she said, "Did you clean this place?" It's just me and her in the whole club, and I'm soaking wet. I said, "Yes, ma'am." And she read. She walked back around me, guys. I'll never forget it. She got the little bony arm around my neck and gave me a little back hug. And she's right there in my ear. She said, "Boy, we need you." I still want to tear up every time I tell that. I've told that story 10 million times. Y'all realize how long it had been since anybody had said, we need you to do anything? We need you to not come back here, son. I've had a few of those. We need you to put your hands behind your back. I've had a few of those, yeah. We need you. 
they created a monster because for the next five years, if you walked in that club with mud on your feet, I would eat your ass. Okay. I'm just saying I was a tyrant, you know, where are you going to put that cigarette? But you get that cigarette, put that, oh my God. And they just laugh. Oh my God. I just, but they allowed me to come a part of something folks. And I got to tell you real quick, I ended up in a group. I had a little hippie guy that was sponsoring me. And again, we are like people who normally would not mix. And, and uh, I'm, uh, but the, it was one of these deals that they got me working in the steps and, and every scene, they were always asking me if I wanted to do something, you know, it wasn't like maybe sometime would you go, like to go to a conference with me? They'd say, Chris, we got a conference in Dallas uh, uh, Saturday night. Would you like to go? I said, no, I don't, I don't have any money. I'm, I'm a little cut, a little, little shy with it on the cash. He said, don't, don't worry about that. we got your money covered. We'll pick you up at seven, you know, but I know we'll pick you up at seven. Be here. <laughs> okay. God dang. All right. But they took me to my first conference, walked into a goddamn ballroom with 3,000 alcoholics. You sit in there and hold hands with 3,000 people and do the Lord's Prayer, buddy, and tell me there's no, no power. I'm in AA for seven years. I don't even know that stuff exists. They started showing me the, the other AA literature that's out there. Chris, we got a big book here, and, and now what we got? AA comes of age. Look at all, oh, look, and, you know, as Bill sees it, and they got all these, yeah, yeah, y'all under, Dr. Bob and the good old timers. There's some good history in here. And they started teaching me this stuff. But in the meantime, anytime I wanted to do something, they'd just say, buddy, rock on. I, I lucked out that I ended up in a group where they didn't spend a minute telling me what I couldn't do. I'm so tired of hearing that crap in Alcoholics Anonymous, I can puke. That dictatorial sponsorship stuff, you can't date for a year. Watch me. <laughs> Absolutely, I can. You're telling me that a girl's going to get me loaded? I get me loaded. Girls ain't, guys ain't going to get me. Y'all understand what I'm That's ridiculous. I wanted to start a little business. They said, bop, bop to you drop, brother. Just, you know. Don't let it get in the way of coming to meetings. Let us, let us know what we can do to help. And they encouraged me. I had that little meeting. Guys, I got to tell you, I, I, I loved it. And I didn't make any money and it didn't last long. But I, it was one of those deals where you'd stay up half the night excited about a project. You know, that's what I got to do. Guys, two things that I get to see. 27 years working in the business and sponsoring a whole bunch of guys over the years. Two things that I watch people relapse over. Y'all got it? Y'all can write this down. Some of you little new guys, pay attention. Self-pity and boredom. And we feed into that when we tell the newcomer to just continue, just, just come to meeting, don't do anything. You can't, don't make any major changes. The book says, be careful, but didn't say, don't do it. Get some advice, counsel. I had men and women, guys, all over that club that would help me. I'd walk into that club wearing something and the little ladies in that group would say, Chris, you cannot wear that shirt. Absolutely not. Go on. Go, go change that shirt right now. You can't wear that in here. I mean, they taught, they taught me, yeah, they taught me how to dress. But as far as my life, guys, if I wanted to work someplace or date or whatever, that, they, buddy, have a, have a nice life. And I'm so grateful. I hope every little newcomer that's in this gathering gets to be in a meeting like that. Uh, anything that makes us sound stupid, dictatorial crap makes me crazy just drives me nuts we're all going to do this a little bit different that's okay it's what makes it so powerful I, I don't know i was at that group for five years and moved to the hill country and got married and, and i gotta tell you i uh, i found me a little aa group in town and and a uh, bunch of little big book thumpers and that's where i got 
Mark Houston is my old sponsor. He was my sponsor for 17 years till he passed away. And, and uh, I got a great sponsor today. Uh, after Mark died, uh, another guy in our lineage, Gary B in, in Indianapolis and, and uh, all big book guys, folks, all, all folks that understand where the, where the solution comes from. And uh, it's, I don't know, pretty charm, folks. I'd like to say that my life has been perfect. It hasn't. It's been kind of crazy at times. Um, I went through another divorce and that was, it was tough. I did this one sober and uh, there was a little stepson involved and, and uh, it was tough. I had some tough days. Uh, not once did I want to take a drink. Wasn't sure I didn't, I didn't want to jump off a bridge, but I, but I didn't want to take a drink. Those 10 step promises folks are as real as can be. You're going to be placed in a position of neutrality, safe and protected. Uh, th that obsession to use will lead you. And it did for me guys, just a few weeks into this program and guys, it's, it's that obsessions never returned. Uh, I started sponsoring a couple of, a couple of months in, I started sponsoring and a uh, little guy, another cook came in and heard me talking about cooking and, and asked me if I could sponsor him. And, um, and I said, yes. And then I went to my sponsor and he said, good, listen, your life is fixed to change forever. Come on, let's go. Uh, Bill Wilson was crystal clear when he was writing in the book that we can't grow spiritually unless we work in self-sacrifice for others. Uh, I, watch, I watch folks in AA do it. I watch folks in other fellowships that I'm associated with do it. And this idea that we can't sponsor for a certain period of time. Guys, these are all well-meaning people, but it's all just crap. It's our job is to teach the folk how to, how to do it. And uh, guys, even to this day, people ask me questions. I had a call today from a girl that's just, I'm just, I'm out of my element with this lady. I don't know how to help her. I know a lady that can help her. I spend half my day connecting dots for people, helping people that understand. That's what we do. But I don't have to turn my back on folks. That AA group that I got sober in, somebody put above the chalkboard there and uh, I age myself. They don't even make chalkboards anymore, do they? I don't know. They, they're all whiteboards now. Above this chalkboard, it says, you can't sponsor until you're two years sober. And it's like, where, who comes up with this crap? You know, I was talking about it the other night. Somebody in, in New Orleans uh, came up after a workshop. I did a sponsorship deal. Came up and says, I am just frustrated. You know, in New Orleans, we just don't let anybody sponsor until they're five years sober. Guys, <laughs> this is why we have so few people staying sober long term. We have a lot of people getting sober, like a lot of people coming into Alcoholics Anonymous. It's the only game in town that works. They're not staying, folks. I get them coming back to treatment all the time and they're just frustrated. I've tried AA, it doesn't work. And then I ask them, buddy, how many people did you sponsor when you were in AA? None. Well, my book says you can't stay sober unless you do that. But somebody got in there well-meaning and started sharing their their thoughts on it. You can't sponsor until you, guys, we're not therapists. We're not counselors. You don't have to have a degree. All you have to do is have a story and have to know what's in the big book. And if you know that, it's, it's time to go help. And if you get in over your head, come on with it. I got to wrap this up, guys, but I got to tell you, I, it's, it's frustrating for me sometimes to sit in our meetings and watch so many people because I get the phone calls, folks. I put my email on this, and I guarantee I'll get emails from people sitting in Alcoholics Anonymous, miserable, not drinking one stupid day at a time. Bill Wilson talks about the bedevilments on page 52, this irritable, restless discontent, this feeling of uselessness, this low self-esteem that the book talks about. And it says, buddy, that's not sobriety. That's terrible. Just 
that's not what we're offering here. But if we can get the folks, when, when these guys got me involved, they said, Chris, find a job in AA and you'll stay. That's why we railroaded you to get to, a, 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 you know, to be our janitor, because at least you're a part of something. And that's what we try to do. Get that little newcomer a job and he's going to keep coming back. He's going to do what he's, what he's supposed to do here. And uh, been my experience, guys, the ones that get active, I got to say, I was talking about this Founders Day this year. Some of you might have been on that call, uh, Zoom me, but uh, there's this little girl that was in treatment and uh, she'd come to the Hill Country to stay. There's a big, big halfway house, big recovery community here. And she'd come into to, to the area and, and she'd get sober for a while and she'd stay and we'd see her in meetings and she'd leave and she'd come back and she'd leave. She'd come back and she'd leave. Jeez. And, and uh, I was sitting right before we closed the meetings down because of this stupid Cornelius virus. That's what they call it in Mississippi. It's, it's, um, <laughs> I saw her back over in the corner and uh, she's just, just cute as a bug. She's just really distinctive features. You couldn't miss her in the lineup, even half blind like me. I could see her back there. And she saw that I saw her. We were at the end of the meeting and she saw and she ducked down behind this big guy that was in front of her. I mean, it was, it hurt my feelings. She obviously did not want me to see her. And uh, I'm old, but I'm quick. And uh, there's, a, she started to scoot out the side to the exit where the non-smokers go. She's a smoker, but she started to go out the side with the non-smokers because she thought she's going to avoid. And I got to the door before her and I just stood right in front of the door and said, no, nah, uh -uh, we're not going to play that game. I said, what, what? And she just looked down like that. And I gave her a little hug and, and she's, she just, she started crying. And I said, what, what? She says, I keep doing this, Chris. I've been to treatment a hundred times. I keep coming in here. I've been to a thousand meetings. I just don't feel a part of this. It's just me and her in the room. Everybody's out smoking. We got group conscience in 10 minutes. And I look at her like that straight to the face. And I said, you're not. You've been around this program for, for a damn near a year now here in the Hill Country, and you're still not a part of this. You come and sit in a meeting and then think you're a part. You're not. I've never heard you share in a meeting once. I've never seen you volunteer for a committee. I've never seen you chair. I've never seen you do jack. But sit and watch the clock until it's time to go smoke and leave. That's hell on earth. And I gave her a little hug and I gave her my little card and said, buddy, you know my number. You call me anytime. I'll help you. Bless you. And I started setting up for group conscience. And 10 minutes later, we walked in and I looked in, came out and uh, somebody was fixing a chair of the group conscience meeting. I looked out and she was on the front row of the thing. And she's looking sheepy, you know, and I waved at her and laughed and she waved back. And first thing they did, they needed a volunteer. We need, we need a coffee maker for Monday night's meeting. A little hand shot up. God dang, they gave it to her. She's, she's the coffee meister, you know? Okay, <laughs> so good. Yeah, she's still sober today. Y'all understand, guys? Coffee, greeter, clean up. The spiritual warfare that we deal with, all of us. That nice lady in there that had 37 years, all, I don't care, 40 years, six months, two days, the spiritual warfare in our head is that voice that says we're not sober long enough. We're not good enough. We can't help anybody. I've heard that until I want to puke. I can't even help myself. How can I help somebody else? That's self-pity. That's horse crap. 
Guys, you can show up with a smile. Help that little newcomer in any way you can. You, you want to know where the newcomer is? Just watch them come into the meeting. They'll be sitting by themselves looking at the floor. That's a newcomer. Go get them. Ask them if they got a big book. Show them where the good copy is. Yeah. See if you can see if you can just visit with them. Thank you. They'll stay if you do that. You'll be amazed. Yeah. Don't think for a second that you know who how God's going to use you to help somebody else. Just listen to the little voice. Just understand what it is. It's battle. Don't let it win. Get out there and start helping others, folks, because we need you. We need everybody in this room. I'll say it and shut up. We got uh, this Zoomy stuff. I can't tell you how many people have come to treatment since this has happened in March. All these closed downs. What's the one thing that we tell the newcomer not to do when they come in? Isolate. And what's, what's everybody done is isolate sitting home watching TV. And I got to tell you, our rooms are packed with newcomers, people that had long-term sobriety and lost it, sitting on their butts in these meetings, too snooty to come to a Zoom meeting. Yeah, you know, I'm not going to do that. All of these people are coming in. They're going to need some help. We're going to have to be there to catch them, folks. They're going to be in trouble. We got our, we got our marching orders kind of made, guys. Get in the trench with us and help us help these little newcomers get sober. Your life will never be the same, folks. We need you. We don't need another Chris Raymer. We don't need another Travis. We need you. Come, come help us do this. I hope I see y'all out there. Thank y'all for letting me share. Thank y'all guys.